All right, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter number 8 and chapter 9 this morning. I'm surprised we didn't have to do CPR on people when they saw the reference uh, this morning in there. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 9. And Becky was asking me, she said, well, I didn't really want to do just a, a all-out Christmas song. She said, I thought about that. I was like, well, that, you know what? That really is a very Christmassy song. That's why he came was, was for us. It's a great message and song, old Dottie Rambo song, uh, for what earthly reason. All right. Well, it's funny. I was sitting over there and I was uh, double checking Facebook. I usually I'm sitting over there. I like to double check, make sure our Facebook stuff's up live. And I brought it up, and it actually um, Brother uh, Farron over at Chico, their service popped up on there. And I looked, and he's actually preaching from Isaiah chapter nine too so this morning. So uh, I figure there's probably a lot of people preaching from these passages, but. Uh, we started this series last week, and, and uh, just Christmas and Isaiah, and we're going to hit some of these prophecies about the Messiah of Christ and what he would do. We, we were in chapter 7 last time about a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and uh, we're going to get into chapter number 9 and, and one of the more uh, famous ones there. Uh, but here's what happened to me as I was studying this. If you look at chapter 9, verse number 1, the first word there is nevertheless. It's saying because of what came before this. So everything you see in chapter 9, where I wanted to preach from, is built on chapter 8. So I thought, well, i got to go back into chapter 8. And I was like, well, I'll just hit these verses. And I, well, I need to go back a little further. Well, I need to go. And it ended up, okay, I've got to cover all of chapter 8 to get to chapter 9 <laughs> to explain everything that's going on. So... If you'll bear with me this morning, we're going to look at this passage, and uh, the title of the sermon is going to be A Son is Given, uh, but really I'm going to end up preaching a lot more about hope this morning. So we'll begin there in Isaiah chapter 8, verse number 1, and I just love this passage because I love to say, Mahir Halal Shalal, I can't say it now, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. I love saying that. It's so much fun. I love saying that. We'll get there, okay? Did y'all ever read, uh, anybody ever read uh, The Hiding Place about Corey Ten Boom? That's the name of their cat. So, you remember that? Yeah, anyway. Some of y'all just aren't very literate out there. You know? Anyway, uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse number 1. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and ride in it with a, man, uh, with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Verse 5. The Lord spake also unto me, saying, Forasmuch as this people refuseth the waters of Shiloh that go softly and rejoice in resin and Ramalia's son, now therefore behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all the glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks like a, a flooded river. Verse 8, And he shall pass through uh, Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the, and the stretching out of his wings shall feel the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. Verse 9. Associate yourselves, O ye people, 
and ye shall be broken in pieces, and give ear all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. Verse 11. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of the people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin, and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall, and be broken, and be snared, and be taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples." And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. Verse 19. But when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to His word, it is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it, hardly be stead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when He shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Now chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the, the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, and the, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, with judgment and with justice uh, from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Last week I introduced to you, telling about the background of these prophecies of Isaiah, I introduced to you a king named Ahaz. was not a good king. He did not follow the Lord. He did not do what was right. He sacrificed to idols. In fact, including to the point that he was sacrificing his own children to the god Molech in the valley of Hinnom. 
God brought judgment against Ahaz and the kingdom of Judah to correct them, to purge them from their sins and turn them back to himself, back to God. We talked about how the northern kingdom of Israel had allied themselves with Syria, capital Damascus, up further north, to attempt to overthrow Ahaz in Judah. We talked about how Ahaz refused to uh, turn from, to the Lord, how he instead made an alliance with the rising power of Assyria. We saw the prophet Isaiah's message during that time that Judah would not fall. They would be grieved, but they would not fall to these foreign powers. More importantly, God was going to still honor the promise of the Messiah to come through David's lineage. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Judgment was still coming, but God would be faithful, and there would still be hope for redemption. Our text this morning belongs in that same time period. It's probably like in the next year or so. Ahaz is still king over Judah. He has not learned from his mistakes. Judgment continued in the land, He did not repent, nor does it seem that the people repented. God sends a triad of invasions in 2 Chronicles 28. I'll reference these very quickly. Uh, But 2 Chronicles 28 and then uh, 2 Kings 16, if you want to go cross-reference what's going on at this time. There's a triad of invasions that come in against Ahaz and against Judah. 2 Chronicles 18.17, the Edomites raided the land. It says, For again the Edomites had come and smitten Judah and carried away captives. Second, the Philistines began to capture territory in Judah, something that was largely unheard of since the days of King Saul. In 2 Chronicles 28.18, the Philistines also had invaded the cities of the low country and of the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, I love saying that one too, and Agilon, and Gedaroth, and Shoko, with the uh, villages thereof, and Timnah, with the villages thereof, and Gimzo, also in the villages thereof, and they dwelt there. Third, the Assyrians came. They were supposedly allies, but they sure didn't act like it. Second Chronicles 28, 20, and 21. And Tiglath-Pelnezer, king of Assyria came unto him and distressed him, but strengthened him not. For Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria, but he helped them not. Sort of reminds me about those mobsters in the movies that show up and they want to pay for protection. They're paying to protect from them. You know how that works. If you ever watched any of those old mobster movies. My wife's an expert on those, by the way, so... But still, through all of this, she's not in here to get that. She'll she'll admit it too. Still, Ahaz did not repent. Instead, he sinks further into sin. In 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 10 through 18, I'm not going to read that for the sake of time, but he goes to Damascus. He meets the Assyrian ruler up there after the Assyrians had defeated the Syrian. Assyrians defeated the Syrians. It's hard to keep that straight. And while he's there, he sees one of these pagan altars, and he likes it. And he says, I want one of these. So he comes back to Jerusalem, and they build an altar like he saw up in Damascus and put it into the courtyard of the temple. And it's it's for him. In fact, and it may be even for some divination, the way some of the 
um, some of the, the, the text reads there. Uh, like I say, this, this wasn't to, to sacrifice to God, it was to worship the pagan gods of Syria. Here is his record according to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 28-22 and following. It says, And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every several city of Judah he made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. That's what's going on when God says, Isaiah, got a message for you. I need you to deliver this message. It's not a happy message that you're going to deliver. It begins with an object lesson, which we read about there. The prophet, he has a son, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I'm going to say as many times as I can during this. Which translates roughly to swift to spoil, swift to pray. It's talking about the swiftness of the destruction that's coming on the people. The child is an object lesson. The onslaught was coming. One that would sweep away the kingdoms of Israel and Syria. And one that would almost swallow up Judah. Isaiah 8, 7 and 8. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many. Even the king of Assyria in all his glory, he shall come up over all his channels, go over all his banks, he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of the land of Emmanuel. This, the vision there, the, the, the picture of a, of a flood. I remember back in the early 90s, what was that, like 93, I think it was, there was a bunch of flooding up in Missouri on the Missouri River and the Mississippi River, and we went up there to my, uh, my grandparents' house, and they took us over to uh, nearby Washington and had the bridge that goes over the river, and uh, seeing uh, you know all this flooding. and I remember going to St. Louis and seeing somebody. It was just amazing uh, to see this historic flooding going on, rivers outside their banks and flooding homes and businesses and fields. And, and I see that picture as I'm reading this. Now, you would think if Assyria is coming in, they're going to wipe out these two kingdoms to the north, Israel and uh, Syria. And if they're almost going to drown you out, you're barely going to survive. You'd think, you know what, these would be a good guys to have on your team. We need to get on their side. And maybe get on, uh, ride their coattails to glory. But God says even those victors will fall. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 8. Associate yourselves, O you people, and you shall be broken in pieces, and give ear, all you far countries. The first part of those people is probably talking about Israel and Syria. The far countries probably talking about Syria. Basically saying, you're all going to be broke. Verse, eight, verse 10 says, Take counsel together, it shall all come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. God will not be defeated by these foes. It's in the midst of this darkest night. There's a wicked king on the throne. There's worldwide upheaval as Assyria is rising to dominance. In the blackest of night, 
God gives hope. Aren't you glad we have a God of hope? There's no situation too hopeless for Him. There's no sinner too hopeless for Him. And I don't care how deep the valley, how dark the night, how vicious the storm, there is a light of hope for the child of God. I want to focus on that hope. And we're going to go through here. I'm going to highlight a few different ideas about hope this morning. First off, I want to say that hope is counter to the wisdom of the world. Hope is counter to the wisdom of this world. Verse 11 and following. For the Lord spake thus uh, to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. He says, you're going to be somebody different. You're not going to follow the crowd. You're not going to look at the polls and follow what they say. And it basically goes in there and says, you know, say, say ye not to confess. They say, don't go in there. Everybody else say, hey, let's make an alliance. Let's make a treaty. He said, you're not going to go in there and say that. Instead, what are you going to say? Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Let him be your fear. Let him be your said. Don't trust in foreign powers. Trust in the Lord. All the worldly wisdom of the time was telling them to make a deal with the powerful Assyrians. All the worldly wisdom at the time was telling them to, 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 to forsake their, their very odd religion compared to everybody else and embrace that of the world around them. God looks down to his prophet Isaiah and says, you will not be like those around you. I read about the last days of the kingdoms of Judah and Israel before they fall and I see so many parallels to today. Was not only, it was not always popular to serve God then, and the same is true today. You know, you just, uh, most days, most mornings, I'll start off, I'll get on, get on my phone, I'll look at the headlines, I'll look at a few different news sites, just see what's going on in the world. See, and I'll tell you what, you just about got to need medication to do that. It'll depress you, seeing what's going on in this world. I'm glad that no matter how dark it is, I know that there's a source of hope. The problem is, if you follow, if you want to follow that source of hope, you're going to stand out. You will be the one person, thought about this, you'll be the one person not attending a company Christmas party that is nothing but a drunken revelry. Yours will be that one family, not at a family gathering, because you're going to go and attend church on Christmas Eve. People won't understand. They can't fathom this kind of behavior. It's so contrary to the thinking of this world. But ask yourself this. Look at them. Do they have hope? Do they have peace? Do they have comfort? You aren't the one missing out. They are. Second, I want to say that hope is in the Lord Himself. Hope is in the Lord Himself. Verse 13 of chapter 8. Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. And He shall be for a sanctuary. It's quite a paradox here in these verses. To those who trust in God, He's a shelter. He's security. To those who reject God, He's the truth that they keep tripping over. It says, For a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, both the houses of Israel and a gin and a snare to the habits of Jerusalem, many shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. I hate that saying, by the way, that um, says insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's not a definition. It's a description and it's not always true. 
But it does fit here, because these people, they, they're rejecting God, and what do they do? They keep tripping over His truth. No matter how many times they try to deny God to destroy His truth, they only hurt themselves. Someone very wisely said that you do not break God's law, you break yourself against it. I don't care what it is, God's way is best. You will fail trying to do otherwise. God says to be truthful, to be kind. That's the best life you can live. The world says, do whatever you can to get ahead. Step on anyone who gets in your way. By the way, that's the recipe for a miserable life. But it's so much more than just truth or best practice for living. It is God Himself. Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself. Turn to Him. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith to them, I am the way. By the way, it's a straight and narrow way. He says, I'm the truth, the complete perfection, revelation of God to man, our ultimate example, ultimate expression of God Himself. He says, I'm the life. That's the giver of life and the blesser of life. Fall about where it says, I've come to give you life more abundantly. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's personal. Christ Himself. He's the door. He's the way. By the way, if you want to know God, I'll tell you how to know God. It's really simple. Open up His Word. That's how He has chosen to reveal Himself to us. A lot of folks out there today, you hear this word uh, deconstruction. They're deconstructing their faith. And uh, that's a very dangerous game to play because what they do is they throw out truth and revelation to try to chase something that's uh, ephemeral or ethereal. Uh, that's ethereal, that's the right word there. It, it, it's smoke, it's vapor. When you have something that is rock solid, because this is what God said, this is what you need. This is God's mind. This is God's will. This is God's love letter to us. This is God's instruction manual for us. If you want to know God, get in His Word. Any sort of experience that downplays, ignores, or contradicts the Word is not of God. That's all for free. Point number three. Hope is a testimony to others. Hope is a testimony to others. Isaiah 8.16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, among my disciples. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob. I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. It's a testimony to the believers around us to have hope. Notice there it says, among my disciples. I like that because we're not alone. I keep going back to this, I know, but this is such, such an important element. We are not alone in our Christian life, in our Christian walk. We have a family of believers, a family more wonderful than all the treasures of this world multiplied by billions of times could not approach the value of having Christian brothers and sisters to travel this world with. It's a testimony not only to other believers, it's a testimony to the world. There's a sharp contrast between Isaiah 6, 8, chapter, verses 16 through 18 and then what closes out chapter 8. In, chapter 9, or in verse 19 of chapter 8, the world is turning to seances 
conducted by con artists, by the way. If you study out the language there, it's talking about like ventriloquism. They're throwing their voice and making it sound like somebody's talking who's not there. It's all smoke and mirrors and tricks. Uh, by the way, they're, they're, they're hoping, they're putting their hope in something that's evil. And by the way, something also that's fake. It's empty. It's vain. In verse 20, the world has no light of hope in it. In verse 21, the world turns in anger against the, their ruler and against their God. In verse 22, the world sees nothing but despair and darkness. Folks, you don't have to do much as a Christian to stand out like a beacon in this world. Have hope, have joy, have peace, have love, have kindness, have mercy, have grace, have compassion. By the way, the world only has knockoff counterfeits of those things. The jewels of the Christian life outdazzle by far the paste and costume jewelry Satan hands out like candy. It's fake, it's a fraud, it's not the real thing. Hope is a testimony to others. Fourth thing I want us to see is that hope is still around the corner. Hope is still around the corner. It's in the future. Getting into chapter number 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Judgment was coming. Israel and Judah, both the, the, the divisions of, of the kingdom of Israel, they're going to both fall. But God wasn't through with His people. Oh, and by the way, He's still not through with them yet today. Book of Revelation ain't about us. It's not good English, but it's the truth. It's about Israel. Everything revolves around Israel. Though the lamb would be ravaged by armies and the kingdoms destroyed, all hope was not lost. By the way, I want to point this out to you. In verse number 1 there, there's a place, a location that's described. I think it's describing an area in northern Israel, kind of surrounding or on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. If you were to, uh, if you haven't, like, look up a map of the, where the tribes of Israel settled in their different areas in, in, in the land of Canaan, you'll find that's where these areas are, up there kind of on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. You look at history and the Syrians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and Romans all came through, all afflicted that land. It's just so many wars and battles and invading armies. But you know what happened there? If you were to look at one of these maps and you look at that area that belongs to the tribe of Zebulun, you might notice there's a little town there called Nazareth. Nearby, there's another little town called Cana. I hope those ring a bell to you. Where Jesus grew up. Cana is where he performed his first miracle. Naphtali is the area, it's, it's on, kind of on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a town called Capernaum. Christ was there quite a bit. Where he fed 5,000, where he preached, where he taught. In that area is where so much of Christ's ministry 
took place. I could go on. There's so many things you could talk about. Yes, judgment was coming, but there was still a glimmer of hope on the horizon. That hope was Christ, the hope of all mankind. He died for our sins. He rose again in victory over death. When we look back at the hope, as we stand here today, we look backwards at the hope that He gave us. By the way, that's largely in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The son of Mary that was laid in the manger. He gave us hope through his life, through his teachings, but most importantly through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. He gives us hope. But I want you to note this, that there's still hope in the future, even for us, in verse 7. Of the increase of His government. He had a government yet? He didn't have a government the first time He came. There's some unfinished business that He has. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Is there much peace going on over there? That's one of the first things I usually check on. It's what's going on over there in Israel. Not a lot of peace. One day there will be. Upon the throne of David, when Christ reigns upon this earth. And upon His kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice. I like that word, justice, by the way. We don't get too much of that today. But one day there will be justice. Henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform. I like that last part, the zeal. It's not just God's going to do it. God wants to do it. He is excited about this. There's a difference. You ever, you ever notice, a, I'll pick on Drew a little bit over there, but uh, yesterday morning, Drew had a, a UIL thing. Uh, he, he had a UIL competition down Saginaw. He had to get up early. And I went in there uh, to wake him up because I was going to take him to school. And I, said, I said, Drew, you up? Yeah, I'm up, I'm up, you know, he really wasn't. But he's like, oh, yeah, he says, is this the first time you've come in here? Is a question he asked me. And, uh, sorry, Drew, I'm picking on you. But, he, but uh, I said, no, and I said, Drew, this is the first time I've been in here. He goes, oh, Mom usually has to come in here two or three times to wake me up. <laughs> and, uh, I, and he said, but I'm up, I'm up. And, and we were talking about it, and he said, uh, he was talking about it, he said, well, you had something to look forward to. It wasn't just going to school. This was something special. This was something different. It's a lot easier to get up when you know it's something special as opposed to just getting up and going to work. What's the difference? There's a little bit of zeal involved. There's a little bit of zeal involved in that. So there's some excitement. You realize God is anxiously awaiting the fulfillment of these verses. He's anxiously awaiting for the day. These promises are made true. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run, his kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more in the words of the old hymn. He's coming back. We have hope. We have hope in our salvation because He came the first time. I've got hope for eternity, for everything, for this old world because He's coming back. It's a lot of hope in this. In the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the judgment, there's a lot of hope in these verses that we've looked at this morning. I'm going to wrap this up. Guys, y'all go ahead and come on up here. 
four quick things. We have hope because of what Christ did when He came 2,000 years ago. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He was the perfect example for us to follow. We have hope now because of what Christ does now. He saves sinners. He's still in this life-changing business. He transforms the saved. He molds us and makes us new into His own image. And we have hope in the future because of what Christ will do. He will be victorious. He will be triumphant. He will be glorified. It's all the anxiety, every sports team. Oh, are we going to win the championship this year? Oh, are we, is my team going to come? All the politics. Politics, by the way, people treat them almost like sports nowadays. It's funny. Oh, my side win, my side loss. All this stuff. And there's all this anxiety. Who's going? I know who's going to win. Christ will be victorious. He will be the winner. He will rule. He will reign on this earth as the King of the kings and the Lord of lords. My question for you this morning is, do you have that hope in you? Do you have that hope in you? Do you know the hope of salvation? Do you know your sins are washed away? Do you know that He died for you personally? You've accepted that free gift of salvation. That's the most important thing. And then I'm going to go a step beyond that to the Christian this morning. Do you have that hope in you that everything's going to be made right? This is the worst it's ever going to be for us. One day, the worst thing we're going to have to deal with is golden streets and crystal rivers and God's throne. There is hope. Do you still have that hope in you? Do you still have that hope? You look at Christians and you think of all the different ideas and, 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 and um, uh, I don't know, th things that go into being a Christian, uh, characteristics. You think of love. You, th you think of faithfulness. Can I tell you, we need to be people of hope. We need to be people of hope. And this time of the year just brings that ever so much into the spotlight. Do you have that hope in you? If you do this morning, let's rejoice. If you don't, let's rekindle it. Let's have some hope in this time of year. What number there, Owen? 139 in the Heavenly Highways. We'll sing along with the invitation song. If you'll stand, please. 139. Let's, let's pray and we'll have a time of the invitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just digging into this, my goodness, such powerful truths. Isaiah gave us over 700 years before, before you were born. Lord, as we look at this, it's easy to focus on the judgments, but Lord, there's so much hope in here. Lord, as we walk through this, this world, we need this hope in us. We need this hope for eternity. We need this hope that evil will be defeated, that right will prevail. Lord, let us find that hope in You. Let us not seek for it in our own, our, our own wisdom or, or in any kind of worldly strength or, or any kind of man's schemes, but to know hope is in You. Let us have that faith and that trust and that security in the hope that You give. First, for our salvation. The second, for the victory that is still yet to come. Lord, encourage us this morning, I pray, with the thoughts and the peace that comes through having hope in You.
Speak to us in this invitation time, I pray in the holy name. Amen.